story so strange in its implications that it defies ordinary classification. Let us start off with the intro. Hi, it's uh, Stitch from Black and Black Times Infinity. We have uh, Prodigy and we have our special guest today. We call her Mama French. <laughs> um, we have decided uh, just as our own individual podcast group to just sort of ex- share our experiences that we had uh, growing up uh, dealing with just racism and, and civil rights, uh, mainly provoked by a lot of the incidences that we've been seeing on TV with uh, most recently George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, um, and just all the... And the girl. Um, Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor. Yes, right. yes, absolutely. Um, and it just seems to have sparked a uh, just a, a lot of talking points in mm-hmm. terms of everybody in the community wanting to get together and mm-hmm. and work uh, with with the whole Black Lives Matter movement and getting mm-hmm. everybody to be treated as equal. Mm-hmm. Um, just me personally, I I sort of did some self reflecting mm-hmm. to just remind myself that my parents, well, my mother more specifically, uh, grew up in Virginia mm-hmm. um, during the Civil Rights Movement, the mm-hmm. South. Um, for those of some people don't realize it, I mean, we have international listeners and mm-hmm. they assume that the, the South is just geographically the South <laughs> and everything, but mm-hmm. essentially like the Mason-Dixon line that's uh, Maryland, mm-hmm. I mean, even though Perfect. it looks like it's up kind of Northeast-ish, it's still considered the, south. the south and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, hearing her stories and um, things that I wasn't even aware of or even mm-hmm. asked her specifically, mm-hmm. uh, I just wanted to reach out to some of my other friends growing up, uh, mm-hmm. especially you, um, and I'll ask some of your background stuff so our listeners and viewers oh, can kind of kind of know. Oh. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's hilarious because I... Um, You've known me since I was yes. walking around and said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, playing t-ball, baseball, right. and everything." That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. went to went to the same church, so it's right. It's uh, this is just. I'm sure it's got to be just tickle pink for you. Yes. Yeah, for me to sit here interviewing you about yes. this, but um, I think it's important that people just understand everything mm-hmm. that uh is going on and just hear these stories from, mm-hmm. from people that that lived it mm-hmm. uh, rather than just reading it in a book or seeing a Hollywood movie version of it, yes. just hearing a raw edited um, version of it. So um, we obviously live in Fremont, California on the West Coast, uh-huh. but um, if you could just share um, a little bit about your background okay. and uh, uh, I know you're never supposed to ask a, a, a lady their age. That's right. Yeah, just where you grew up and then yes. uh, a little bit about that. Okay. My name is Cheryl Williams French, and I was born and reared in Montgomery, Alabama. And Montgomery's uh, city model, no, moniker is Cradle of the Confederacy. So that establishes. <laughs> I didn't even know that. We yes, were, were two minutes was, in, and I, I didn't know about the writing down notes. <laughs> and they have the, one of their proudest um, buildings is the what they call the first White House of the Confederacy, this little house where the first president um, of the Confederacy lived, and maybe he was the only president, I don't know. But anyway, so when people come, people go there to visit in the old days. It was a place that um, had some of the best people in the world, really, but also some of the worst people in the world. When I grew up in the 50s and 60s, um, there was definite segregation. There were... um, Oh my goodness. Constant reminders to black people that 
at that point, the South was solidly black and white. There were no other ethnicities there. Right? And um, they, there was always the opportunity living in the South where the undercurrent was you're black, you're in those days Negro or colored, and you're not as good as we are. So we will try to suppress you and oppress you. And um, so that's just the way things are. Everything was separate and unequal. Um, there were um, separate bathrooms. For, well, what they really had was men, women, and colored. Now, they didn't care whether black people went to the bathroom, men and women at that point, but okay. just for white people, men and women, and then colored. And um, there were all kinds of signs of the um, Confederacy and all this. For people who lost the war, Montgomery was a, was a place where they celebrated the war and their ancestry, their history of being what they call rebels. Mm -hmm. And of course, all the schools were segregated. I went to private school, though I went to a Catholic school there. But um, the underlying um, spirit was racism and white supremacy. But as often happens with black people, we did live separate lives. And in our daily living, we were always overcoming and supporting each other and celebrating each other. And um, they protected the children from the real harshness of segregation. Mm -hmm. We had black doctors, black dentists, black lawyers, black teachers. So we were kind of insulated by we, I mean, my friends and I, and most of the children, we were insulated in our community and we felt good about ourselves. There were white people over there that we never interacted with. And then in our community, everybody, you know, we took piano lessons and ballet lessons and you had everybody that you needed provided the services that you needed. Okay. And um, my parents were, my father and his friends had been to World War II, so they were veterans and they came back and they were able to take advantage of all the GI bills that were really instituted for white veterans, but they had served in the uh, military. So they got a chance to go to college on the GI Bill and all those things, okay. or finish their education. Can I yeah. say one quick Oh, yeah. From all that I've read, mm -hmm. Grandpa was very fortunate to be able to access that, because a lot of black yeah. World War II veterans didn't able to access yeah. that on purpose. Um, so I just, yeah. I, 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 I have wow. heard that my, myself, oh, and wow. I um, mm -hmm. most recently, uh, one of the um, NFL quarterbacks was mm. talking about why, and we'll get that down that road later on, mm -hmm. about why, why he felt it was inappropriate and disrespectful to take a knee, and he cited, he's like, my grandfather mm. was in World War II, and I found it disrespectful. Was sorry, oh, yeah, sorry. that was Drew Brees yes. yesterday. Yes, mm. <laughs> and, some, and um, some people were saying, uh, one of the, um, Michael Wilbon, black uh, journalist mm. and uh, host of PTI, was like, my mm. father fought in World War II. Uh, yes. This was in, I assume, maybe... South Carolina, Chicago, mm -hmm. I think. But he's like, when they came back, the, the GIB uh, bill failed us. Yes. So it's interesting to some, hear that, mm -hmm. how it worked for some people, it might not have worked. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like a, a dice roll. Whether yes, if it, that's if it right. Work right. Or, it wasn't designed for black veterans. Okay. But some of them were able to get in and use it for things like purchasing homes. Okay. 
Now it's funny because my mother often said, we purchased a home, but we couldn't get house insurance. In those days, hmm. all state wouldn't even insure black people in the South. That's interesting. Now, now we got the guy from Major League. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's from San Mateo. Oh, yeah. Dennis Haysburg. Yeah. He is the voice of all state insurance. Yeah, right. That's hilarious. Right, but they couldn't get house insurance. So there were always these constant roadblocks that, even on subtle levels, we were overcoming and okay. didn't realize it. But everything came to a head because Montgomery... I remember I was maybe in the first grade when the boycott started. Okay. Bus boycott. And I remember. Oh, oh well, yes, no, no, I'm sorry. I, 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 keep me on. I, no, no, I don't want to keep you on track. Uh, I just. Um, went, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, Lynn. And you might have to put the fan on. That's right. Okay. I got to get it. So, obviously, when you are brought up in, in, in your childhood, you, mm -hmm. was there like a moment or did you oh, have no. like. Then you gotta get it out of the basket, the little remote. <laughs> did you have like a, a sit down talk with like your parents when you, like when did you realize that because you were black that you were not as equal? Was it a like a moment or it was just sort of like a I think anything was, like in your early childhood where it's like you you had a sit down talk with you your know, parents? No, we or? never had a sit down talk. It was just the um, underlying um, culture. Okay. Although we had a thriving, beautiful culture within ourselves. We knew that the greater culture um, was, I mean, you have to hit high, and yeah, mm -hmm. he's got it. Mm -hmm. The greater culture said we weren't good enough. We couldn't drink out of these water fountains. We couldn't sit down and Woolworths, I'm really dating this. <laughs> they don't even have Woolworths anymore. Woolworths is like a, a CVS or a Walgreens. Right, or a drug five store. and dime. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And eat. So there were all these other things that um, the society imposed that we were subjected to, but that I never had to have the talk with my parents. Okay. And did you have any older brothers or sisters? I'm an only child. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. So what happened, um, we just grew up knew knowing almost subliminally that you know, white people don't like us okay. and everything is separate. Okay. And we, um, but we are fine. Mm -hmm. And it's funny in Montgomery, everybody, okay, our next door neighbor, an African, oh, and all the neighborhoods were separate. It's an African American lady who, Dr. Evans, who had a PhD from the University of Michigan mm -hmm. back in the 50s. That was a big deal. And oftentimes the people would go away to colleges, sometimes Big Ten colleges, Northern White colleges, and they would come back and continue to help to improve the black community. Mm -hmm. And um, so people thought, you know, if you were smart, you could overcome all this stuff. And we weren't that far from Atlanta, mm -hmm. which has always been a cultural mm -hmm. mecca hub for black people, and educated black people and people. And then New Orleans on the other side, which was a cultural hub. Yeah. You know, so we always... Um, there were always shining examples of black people who had overcome. The talented tenth. Right, the talented, that's right, Du Bois, bless his heart. So uh, it wasn't like a feeling of, of despair? No, because it wasn't so, like, okay, never. Okay. Never a feeling of despair. Okay. If I remember thinking, it was just a question, I'm going to college, but where? Mm -hmm. The, the, the um, issue was, where are you going? But you will go to college, and so many other people have done it. And look at all these shining examples in the community, in this small town, of people who have 
gone away to college, gone away to graduate school, come back, they have come back, they have helped the community to the extent that um, by the time the mid-50s arrived and this young minister came to town to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, you know, from Morehouse College and it just about got his PhD, and I was almost par for the course because okay. we had seen it. So many other people had done that. Like I said, on one side of me, there was this African-American lady with a PhD from the University of Michigan. On the other side was an African-American male who was a tailor. And he had a tailor shop in downtown Montgomery. And he, you know, of course, clothed the wealthiest and everyone who wanted, you know, their, all men, rather, who mm. wanted their clothing you know, adjusted, fit to a T. So, and all up and down the street that I live on, you have these wonderful, loving people who were positive role models. We didn't have, um, to my knowledge, homelessness. Okay. There were people who lived in what they called in those days shotgun houses. They were, you know, people who didn't have um, the means. But... Everybody had homes, everybody looked out for each other, you know, it didn't matter, right. you know. And we were just striving and, and living our normal lives, you know. And we were we were basically fine, yet the most people when I was growing up didn't have cars, not quite yet. The late fifties people were getting cars. Mm -hmm. So the buses were very important in okay. Montgomery. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want and I do want you to sort of mm -hmm. transition into okay. that. Everyone mm -hmm. uh, famously knows Montgomery mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. the, the bus boycott. Bus yes. Mm -hmm. Um I mean at least I don't want to say everyone because then I get back into <laughs> assuming again. Yeah. That's why we're, we're having these conversations. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, if you could just talk to us about the Montgomery bus boycotts. Yeah. Um, obviously, <laughs> you had a front row. Yeah, I don't know if that's a middle. sort of play on words for yeah. having a front row seat. Yeah, but with the bus boycott, and mm -hmm. um, obviously, I know. Um, as a little teaser mm -hmm. um, about the historical uh, Rosa Parks, yes, and um, yes. I, I always uh, sort of look back and I, I bring it up to to a uh, uh, um, prodigy and mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. about how we got to have that fortunate um, visit at that bookstore in Oakland and actually Marcus, uh, Marcus um, yeah, yes. actually see her and yes. everything like that, and that's something that like you uh, saw Rosa Parks. And we were there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we all meet you, my mom. Wait, what? Was I there? Yeah, you were there. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I forgot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. Yeah, we were all okay. there. Um, okay. I, I can't even remember what mm. year it was and mm. everything like so that. So it was in the, sometimes in the 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Obviously, you mm. know but her and everything. But I didn't really know her, but I tell you what, she was a very good friend of my godmother's. They were in the same age group, and she was a lovely lady, and she lived up the street from me. I didn't actually know her, but I knew she had a sterling reputation. Okay. And um, Godmother knew her well. As a matter of fact, today on that street where um, my father's house is, there is where she lived in her apartment. She lived in these projects. They keep the light on on the front porch even now in 2020. Okay. The light is on in her apartment. So when you pass by... People can say that's where Rosa Parks lived. Does, so does somebody live there, or is it more like no, a I historical... Think it's, it's a historical place. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. okay 
but she was a well, very well reputed, lovely, loving person. And like I said, my godmother knew her. And I remember I was a little girl, I was either in the first or second grade when the boycott started. Okay. And my meaningful memory, even though I was a little girl, was that the first night that Martin Luther King got arrested, my father got arrested with him that first wow. night. Uh -huh. <laughs> so in his first book, Strides yeah. Toward Freedom, he mentioned the black school teacher who was arrested that night. And I remember my mother and Mrs. King were scurrying to, you know, to get bail and all this stuff. But in his book, he couldn't mention my father's name or he would have been fired from his school teaching job. But Whoa. they got arrested <laughs> that night, protesting, fighting for civil rights. After that, you know, we had the bus boycott, and the, they stopped the buses from coming in the in the um, black community. Yeah. But the black community had, had been the community that so really supported the bus system. Mm -hmm. So the bus system lost money during that year of the boycott. And for those that don't really understand mm -hmm. the um, the public transportation oh, aspect yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. um, the bus system was like you had touched on before mm -hmm. many black people i mean i don't want to say virtually all black people at that time didn't have cars but, but many did many many mm -hmm. didn't so mm -hmm. the main source of transportation to was their it? job or, yes or wherever it is that they were going were through downtown uh, and all that yeah so the, to get groceries you had mm -hmm. to take the bus yes yes so it was vital part a vital link did you want to say uh, yeah i just wanted to say appreciating the brilliant strategic decision yes. to take the actual economic mm -hmm. impact mm -hmm. on the actual system itself yes. and yes. say we're going to remove our dollars from yes at a time in the when 1950s the midnight yes. yeah you knew there was going to be a backlash mm -hmm. you, you knew that there was going to be additional threats for the entire community yes but removing your money from it was so significant right. and so important that it had this lasting impact right. and it wasn't by accident. It yes. didn't, I, I don't like the mythology that uh -huh. Rosa Parks, you know, got arrested and um, mm. it, 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 all the dominoes kind of fell in no. line. No, yeah, you have to give us some inside baseball okay. on that because yeah. we just know the, the plane. Right. You know the right. Oh, the bus boycott. She told right. me the back of the bus. Okay, the bus boycott. And most people don't. I had to, um, I mean, embarrassingly, but I was like, mm. I need to look up because I was, I was talking about my wife about it. I was mm. like, it lasted a and year I, yeah, I had or to look 11 months, a year, just about. But what I remember, even when I was a little girl, was that, um, okay. Like I said, the buses were vital to the black community. And, but people were being mistreated constantly on the bus. The bus drivers, all the bus drivers were white. Mm -hmm. They were constantly moved back. And see, the white people sat in the front of the bus. The black people had to sit in the back. And they were moved back. If a white person got on and there were no more seats, you had to give up your seat. This is far. And um, I didn't know this. My mother told me I was still too little. I saw a replica of what used to happen and black people got on in the front paid their money then they had to get off go to the back door to get on. <laughs> so they couldn't even walk by the right <laughs> walk by the whites so um and i said my oh, that's my mother said oh yeah that was true she said you were a little girl and i shielded you you didn't really know what was going on but you put your money in get you know climb the stairs pay come down the stairs go to the back door and enter meanwhile aren't some 
of them going to white people's houses to, to actually clean, clean them. Yes, okay. yes. Just. Many of the people, right, <laughs> put it in context, they were, yeah, they were going to clean other people's homes, but this is the way most people, this was their transportation, and this was the, ex, it wasn't really accepted, but this is just the unwritten policy. Okay. So after that, um, people were very much mistreated. Now, even before, and like um, Celine just said, the strategy of it all, People kept complaining, and other people, and I've learned since then, you know, in terms of educating myself, that the very first person before Mrs. Parks was a girl whose name last name was Colvin, yep. C-O-L-D-I-N, and she was a young girl, and they had kicked her off the bus. Mm -hmm. She tried to um, remain in her seat, and I don't know how many months ahead of Mrs. Parks or what, but now she is being celebrated for what she did. Uh, go on. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. That's okay. She was purposely not chosen to be the figure for that because, because she didn't have the stellar reputation mm -hmm. that Rosa Parks yes. had. Yes, oh yes. Rosa Parks, yes, when you talk about the talented 10th, she right. had a clean record, she had a yes. clean reputation. She was no, very beloved. She was very beloved, mm -hmm. she was articulate, yes. she was you know, nice looking, all of these things. Yes were carefully chosen yes. with her yes. rather than someone else yes. who could be easily discredited yes. as being mm. uh, low income and mm. trashy mm. or uh, kids out of wedlock yes. or all, all yeah, those doesn't dress well. Any of those social mm. things were, I, and I don't want yeah, to discredit right. no, this other right. woman, yes. but no, no, she, she wasn't as uh, as much of a shining example yeah. as Rosa Parks. Right. It's not fair to her that right. she gets it's excluded right. from the history. Uh -huh. But now um, she is being celebrated. But I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, but I just, right. I wanted and to I insert think she that. she was more so, her temperament was, um, she wasn't going to take too much, the other lady called in. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know her first name, I'm so sorry. But she wasn't, um, Mrs. Parks had also been, I think the summer before, up to Tennessee to a special, um, conference where they talked about and discussed nonviolence, and um, so she was prepared and plus there was the MIA Montgomery Improvement Association which was comprised of black people the the um, ministers the lawyers the doctors and all of the uh, quote-unquote middle-class people or upper middle-class people who were fighting in some way or other to help uh, um, black people gain our civil rights. So Mrs. Parks that evening was just tired. She always said that I'm, I was just tired. Even though, yes, she had a stellar reputation. She was, um, she had been trained prior to that. She didn't know when she was going to be called upon. Mm -hmm. But the night they arrested her and the news flew through. I mean, you guys have the internet. Mm -hmm. But this was just word of mouth. I remember I was a little girl and all these things would happen. And the news flew through the community. All I heard was Miss Rosa got arrested. Miss Rosa got arrested. And then the dean of the Montgomery boycott was Mr. Ed Nixon, proud, powerful black man who was um, talking about stellar reputation, a strategist, intelligent, who actually was a person who started to strategize and organize and he chose Martin Luther King to speak for the black community. Uh -huh. Martin Luther King had just got hadn't been in town that too long. Young. Yes, he was too young. <laughs> and he didn't write he didn't owe anybody anything. Yep. He couldn't say, well we 
you better pay this bill. You can't, what are you doing? You have to, you owe us and we'll charge you double interest. He was just new in town. He was educated. And Mr. Ed Nixon, who was the dean of the whole movement, appointed him. He said, you speak for us. You, are, you got, almost got your PhD. So we want you to be our spokesperson and we're not going on these buses. We're tired of this. We're tired of the mistreatment. We're tired of this whole system. And the MIA, they started having, I remember this, mass meetings. Because my parents, was, one would go to the mass meeting and one would stay with me. And um, mommy went to the mass meeting and my father went to a mass meeting. And they had these mass meetings where the community came together at the churches. Okay. And they discussed the issues and they strategized and they listened to people. Now, part of Dr. King's strategy was nonviolence which he adopted the philosophy of Mohandas Gandhi. And the idea was we have to be nonviolent. You know, we, we want to affect change like Gandhi had done in, um, in uh, India without ever firing a shot. Mm -hmm. So we're going to adopt this policy. Well, many people, yeah, go on. Mm -hmm. I'm, 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 That's okay, come I, on. You know I don't mean that. Uh, you okay. <laughs> but the brilliance to be able to appreciate Gandhi and the Indian uh -huh. outnumbering the British That's true. 50 to 1 <laughs> yes. is not 100 to 1. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And you are the tiny ethnic minority in yes. the States, but still applying the principles yes. from that. That's a good point. That, Excellent point. Again, that takes someone with a PhD level of <laughs> intelligence and understanding at a time when people are forcefully saying you don't have any intelligence because yes. of the color of your skin. Yes, yes. You know? That's right. Man. But that's you can't right. that's it wasn't a direct one to one relationship. You're like, oh this right. worked in India, of course it's gonna uh, work right. in You're right. No. <laughs> Especially considering that hostile climate. Always the hostility was always there. Um, and I remember when I was a little girl, I was in a department store and they had a children's department. They had my mother was shopping and there were um, there was a um, swing set. I remember I kind of wandered a little bit away from my mother, not far, and I was kind of standing by the swing set, and then I, I touched it, and, and there was a little white girl there, and she was on the swing set, and then I was on the swing set, and I'll never forget this. Her mother looked up, saw her over there with me, and came and snatched her away. I'll never forget that, and that was, that mean, that's embedded, and you know, I, oh, okay. And um, so that reality for me, I, that, I just thought of that. But anyway, getting back to the, the bus boycott era, what happened, like um, Salim just referenced, no one knew that this was going to really be successful when we were outnumbered, um, but they underestimated us. You know, they didn't know we who were strategists also. Um, this black community that you've been shunning for centuries in Montgomery has been a black community that has just been thriving, you know, has just been coming on its own, where people are getting educated, people know how to read and write. Many people, my mother said she didn't have any trouble when she went to register to vote in that county, Montgomery okay. County. So you had black voters. Now, there was a county right next to Montgomery so called Lowndes County where black people could not vote. It was oof, very, very racist. <laughs> oh, it was horrible. But so you had all of these people all these years. We were underestimated, overlooked, um, derided, 
yet we were still rising. We were still thinking, competent adults and a community of these people. And so when they said, Dr. King, speak, Ed Nixon said, Dr. King, you speak for us. And um, then you had all of these people, the ladies in Montgomery, all oh, the ladies who taught at the college that was an historically black college, they are Alabama State University. It used to be Alabama State College then. And it basically produced a lot of teachers in the state of Alabama. And um, so the ladies there, some of the teachers, mimeographed um, the flyers that said, do not ride the buses, do not ride the buses. And, um, you know, it was just a wonderful community effort where everybody came. And I was just a little girl, but I would just hear people were talking everywhere. And, yeah, come on. Can I ask a quick question? Uh -huh. What did the older, I know you're talking about, obviously, uh, your parents' generation uh -huh. as well. Mm -hmm. What did the even older generation, yes. the people who were possibly at that time in their 50s and 60s, That's right. think about yeah, young mm -hmm. men, young Rosa Parks, mm -hmm. young... Martin Luther King, some of the other people, these are relatively young people right. in a, what I would think is a city and culture and state and a time period mm -hmm. that doesn't value youthful yes. organization as much as perhaps older people taking right. the lead. That's Can true. you talk about that yeah. dynamic? You know, now from what I remember, I think the older people, people were very proud. Mm. They were proud of the younger people. They they feared for them. There was a, a sense of, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You know, the whole, but I'm proud that you're doing something needed to be done. And we're tired of the oppression. So they were um, silent, but uh, uh, an encouraging force, okay. you know, a silent, encouraging force for that movement. And I'm trying to think... Um, yeah, everybody in some way contributed. Now, this is what I remember that was totally delightful. Every black church, and there are many black churches in the South, every black church had a station wagon because we couldn't ride the buses. And how are people going to get to their jobs, those that don't have cars? Some people have cars. As a matter of fact, that's the time at which my parents actually bought a car during the bus boycott. And... I remember every church had a station wagon. And if you saw, and I remember this, if you saw a black person walking, you picked them up in your own car. Mm -hmm. But each station wagon, uh, each church had a station wagon and we had a central location and that's Mr. Posey's parking lot. This black man, Mr. Eddie Posey, had a parking lot in downtown Montgomery. And they turned his parking lot, and that was my girlfriend's friend. I went to school with his daughter from first grade through ninth grade, because she went away later to boarding school. But her daddy's, when, if we were downtown shopping during that year of the boycott, and you needed a ride home, or you needed a ride to the downtown area, you went to Mr. Posey's parking lot, and you waited, and then one of the station wagons picked you up from one of the churches. All these churches had station wagons, and it was your duty, because I was a little girl, I remember saying, there's somebody, Mommy, and my mother was driving the car. We stopped, where are you going? Well, we can get you close to that. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite going in that direction, but you were, you know, there was a, a beautiful bond and unwritten law that said, we're all in this together. We're going to support each other. And one day we're going to get the victory. Now, 
<laughs> now you talk about it, I mean obviously it was a very well organized yes. peaceful mm -hmm. um, movement and and <laughs> and uh, decision amongst the community to to boycott mm -hmm. the the bus system however those of us that, that are students of our history know that people just weren't cool with that um, based on what we saw in terms of like uh, white, white people yeah. watching the unification of black people well they boycott. didn't really watch it well, well, well uh -huh. it, the people it seems like people believe that okay we're watching these black people peacefully mm -hmm. protest all right cool that's fine we'll leave them alone was that did you have any incidences okay. where and I, I sort of staged it like that because uh -huh. it, we've seen stories where uh -huh. the uh people white people in pickup trucks were throwing vegetables eggs at, at black people that were that were walking well, and uh -huh. and sort of calling them slurs and names of and course. did you have any first-hand experience no i never had that first-hand okay. experience okay. but i know that um like i said if you you saw a black person walking you picked them up you took them as close to where they were going if not to their destination mm -hmm. um but actually the white community was preoccupied with itself okay. it really was because they still had buses running in their neighborhoods mm -hmm. So they didn't care about the black community. Okay. Now the powers that be, the women who wanted their maids there and, and all of this stuff, and the bus company that's losing money, um, they were you know, negotiating somewhat you know, um, with the black community, with Dr. King, with um, Reverend Abernathy and all the powers that be. Mm -hmm. um, but by and large, I don't think the white community was really affected slash concerned. Okay. Now, we were jubilant. I remember when the year had elapsed, I think it was December 1st of the next year, when they said the boycott is up over. We can ride the buses and you can sit anywhere you want. Mm -hmm. I remember that. But um, I don't think the greater white community in Montgomery, especially those without any real means okay. who you know who really weren't wealthy and I don't think they really cared. Now one of the ironies was that <laughs> there was a Lutheran church mm -hmm. in Montgomery, a black Lutheran church, right up the street from my home where I grew up. The Lutheran Synod or the yeah because Catholic churches have dioceses, I think Lutheran churches are comprised of synods, sent a white pastor to a black Lutheran church in the south in Montgomery and um, Pastor Gertz and he and his wife lived in the black community mm -hmm. and he was there he was a part of the movement he was yeah. a part of the boycott and he and his wife had since moved back to Montgomery mm -hmm. the, the Lutheran church took them away and then there was another family the Durr family I think it's spelled D-U-R-R -R, who were uh, medical equipment people they mm -hmm. had a, and they were you know, independent business people, they supported the boycott and okay. supported people. And people, now, there were black people who said, you know, I will contribute to the movement, you know. Um, so I think, and then um, people from all over the world, Northern, I should say, all of America contributed. But the negotiations and the strategizing was going on almost the entire year because mm -hmm. they did not want to relinquish their power. Mm -hmm. They had lived well, well and lives for them that were, hey, this is the way we are and this is the way we want to be and 
it's always been this way and um, we're superior and all these other fallacies that they believed in that supported their way of life and their thinking. But once that happened, that was a major victory just to be able to ride the bus and sit where you wanted to sit. Did, now, when I, mm -hmm. I, now when it became a sort of official that mm -hmm. you could sit where you wanted to sit, mm -hmm. did it change overnight or were there still bus drivers that kind of went rogue? And we're just like, nah, yeah, I don't care what, what the no, law says. it changed overnight. Okay. It, it was, I don't but recall. Now, somebody else who's maybe older than me, but I don't recall it changed overnight. We rode the buses. We sat down where we were. As a matter of fact, I think, I don't, well, in my neighborhood, yeah, because it was an all-black neighborhood, so okay. people just got on the bus. And I don't remember seeing that many white people on the buses after that. Okay. Can I just mm -hmm. add something, mm -hmm. though, just mm -hmm. a little bit greater mm -hmm. context? Mm -hmm. We hear so much about the brilliance of the Harlem Renaissance mm -hmm. in that, you know, mm -hmm. that era of the early part of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. We are starting to hear, thanks to uh, HBO's Watchmen, I don't mm -hmm. know if you've seen that, mm -hmm. but I'll, I'll definitely show it to okay. you. We're starting to hear a lot of people uh, about, thanks to HBO's Watchmen, about mm -hmm. uh, Black Wall Street in Oklahoma. Oh, yes. But what I'm trying to also connect here is the fact that Montgomery, Alabama mm -hmm. has its own, on a smaller scale, sense mm -hmm. of black intellectuals, mm -hmm. black artists, black mm -hmm. professionals, mm -hmm. black strategic thinkers, mm -hmm. organizing in, a, in mm -hmm. a, a manner that's consistent with what's going on, obviously, yes. and being celebrated, obviously, in mm -hmm. Harlem, mm -hmm. obviously, what went on in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's many other bubbles of that, yes. like in Atlanta, Georgia, yes. and other communities. Yes, Birmingham. Yes. But that story hasn't really been told no, I didn't very know. well and effectively. Mm -hmm. That yes. there are multiple black, mm -hmm. for lack of a better phrase, multiple black mini Wakandas going on. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you know, that's that, right. that need to be yeah. appreciated. Right. I agree. You know what happened? I'm, this is my particular philosophy. Wherever you had a, an historically black college, mm. you had black intelligentsia, black middle class, and poor black people. So in all the cities in the South, if you had a black university there, a college, you had people who had attained a certain level of um, education. They had, um, how can I say it? They had gone away to big white colleges and come home to be a part of making things better, the struggle. So I'm thinking of places like uh, Greensboro, Okay. Of course, Atlanta, you had New Orleans, you had Baton Rouge, Southern University, wherever, Birmingham, they had Miles College. Yeah, Howard and Hampton, wherever you had. So you had these people who were educated blacks, who had attained certain level of education, who, some, many of whom knew each other, mm -hmm. you know. They went to college um, with each other, and my parents had friends, um, this one man had gone to Howard. He had friends all over the United States from the Howard experience. You know, where I went to school, Nashville, um, you had two black colleges. You had colleges. You had Fisk and Tennessee State. So you always had these, this, um, this sense of we can do it. And there are many of us who are intellectuals and who are here to just help and improve the community. Okay. So... In the South, 
that was very, very apparent. And if you were bright, there was a, a doctor in my hometown whom a church, he was a bright young kid in the South with nothing. And his church, it was a black Baptist church in Montgomery, sent him, because he was smart, to medical school. Can you imagine all these people yes. in the church? They helped to pay his tuition because they were so proud of him. And, you know, he, Norfolk, Virginia, too. Mm -hmm. You know, wherever you had a black college, you had these black intellectuals, um, these people who had gotten a lot of education, who had earned a lot of education, and who were there to help fight the good fight, the fight for civil rights. So when you hear things mm -hmm. like, or after the movie, sorry, I know I'm... No, 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 jump in, jump in. But you have this movie, Hidden Figures, mm -hmm. coming out showing yes. black female intellectual giants. Yes. Um, <laughs> acting as yeah. being math wizards, being mm -hmm. computers for mm -hmm. NASA, putting people, someone mm -hmm. on the moon, and people think that they're, that's an oddity mm -hmm. or so yeah. rare uh -huh. it wasn't occurring. Right. It's because they don't have an appreciation for what was going on yes. in and around these mm -hmm. HBCUs. That's right, that's <laughs> for, right. For all of these, you know, decades and decades, right. over a hundred years. Right that were thriving. Yes. And I think even if you talk about some of the things like the mm -hmm. um, the Greek organizations, mm -hmm, the church, right. obviously the church, church yes. is being extremely important, yes. but in conjunction with the schools, yes. you have black intelligentsia right. thriving yes. for years and years and years yes. and doing so, so well mm -hmm. that you just, you can't discredit that. Right. And remember, so in the 1800s, immediately after slavery, even my alma mater, Fisk University, was started in 1866, the year after the right Civil after. War. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and many of the other schools, because they had to, what are you going to do with all these people who are supposed to be free? They need to learn how to read and write. And then those who show promise, you continue to encourage them. And, and some of them, you know, you know, just attained all that they could attain um, academically. And, um, you know, many traveled, um, you know, they went to Europe, they went to Africa, they, and, and once the world wars in the early part of the 20th century had occurred and the men had been away serving in World War II, and they come back and they're still belittled and um, people calling them boy and, um, you know, just insulting them, their intellect and all this after they fought, you know, there was, um, I think there was some mm, very, let me put it this way, the climate was ripe for change, okay. especially after World War II. You got, you know, these, these GIs came back, they came back from World War I too, but that's my parents' generation, I don't know that. I know they came back from World War II. My parents and all of their friends, the men came back. The women had continued to go to college and um, they made a life for them. A life for, they made lives for themselves. They were quote unquote good colored people. You know, they had brick homes. They had nice neatly manicured lawns. They worshiped in church every Sunday. They bought the whole American dream hook, line, and sinker. But they had us, the baby boomers, my generation, your parents' generation. And we looked around and said, wait a minute. 
Right. <laughs> things aren't right. Things aren't good. So we were the, the baby boomers. We were part of Dr. King's movement. Mm -hmm. Can you tell? Oh no, no, no. Uh, sorry. Uh, but what what's funny to me is mm -hmm. when you look at the nineteen late nineteen sixties into the seventies, mm -hmm. and you have immigrants coming from all over the world, mm -hmm. and you get into the ethnic stereotype mm -hmm. of model minority mm -hmm. stuff, mm -hmm. which is always a mythology yes. and whatnot, because. You're letting they've let in a lot of people with highly educated, mm -hmm. you know, highly technical skilled mm -hmm. backgrounds, nurses, mm -hmm. doctors, mm -hmm. etc., who do well. Mm -hmm. But when you look back just a generation prior in places that we've just discussed, mm -hmm. you have black communities doing the exact same thing and getting zero credit, credit. for being right. a quote unquote model minority right. with. Your, mm -hmm. your home, mm -hmm. church going, right. manicured lawn, all mm -hmm. of these other things that mm -hmm. uh, are viewed and praised mm -hmm. in, in other communities. I'm sorry, I just no, you have to, You're right. right, because the immigrants came, again, I think there had been a massive, you know, immigration in the 1800s, you know, the Irish came over and all that. Those were in basically northern mm -hmm. cities. Um, in the south, you just had, I think, um, Many of the people they had they didn't care about ethnicity to my knowledge in the south the deep south in terms of the white community you were just white now you had the Jewish community and in my hometown there were some Greek people but above all the overarching um, what sentiment was you're just white and you have to be pretend to be or you have to put forth this veneer of being white and being superior. And and that came of the Civil War changed that. Yeah. And then some of the things with Reconstruction and all of that, yeah. that was on purpose in terms right. of... And Reconstruction, no, yeah. which was just a Klan movement. Yep. And what happened, I remember just... Oh, no, that's okay. Right, right, but that's okay. But in my reading, because... And what they started doing, too, was putting up these Confederate, Confederate monuments and stuff. Mm -hmm. This was supposed to intimidate us. They're celebrating. I remember in 1965, in the early 60s, they were celebrating 100 years after the Civil War, a war that they lost. But what happened, white Southerners right there in Montgomery, they decided, we're going to dress like the period of the Civil War. So these men wore beards, the women would have on long dresses, and they were just reenacting a time that they didn't live through necessary, but they wanted to celebrate because it's the Southern way. <laughs> and with all the Southern accent. And it was ridiculous. Now the black people at the time, we were laughing at them. Why are they dressed like this? Why are they doing this? A war you lost. But see, I just found, this is so... I just found this out this year and all the commotion of 2020. I just found out that many of the slaveholders told, especially that President Andrew Johnson, who was horrible after Lincoln, Grant, and I think Andrew Johnson or vice versa, but he was after Lincoln and he had Southern sympathies. The slaveholders said, you freed our property, you pay us for our property, yes. meaning the slaves. Yes. I didn't know that. No, so they got uh -huh, they got money for our ancestors. Oh and you know, many of our ancestors, um, you know, if they tried to move away from the South to get away from all of that.
But indeed, many stayed because of family ties and stuff. And hey, you know, that's how I got a chance to be part of the civil rights movement. I was a teenager. Go back. Well, to no, no, no. Well, as it as the civil rights movement progressed from mm. from the bus boycott, mm. um, and in terms of getting like actual equal mm. rights, as a Dr. Gre- a Dr. King mm. progressed and became more of a national mm. figure. National figure. How did um, how did things how did from your point of view how did you go about observing that? I mean, how was that watching? Him well, come into from see, Montgomery and then all of a sudden becoming this national national figure. Yeah, he would be on television. So few black people on TV. We say Dr. King's on TV, but I think within a year after the boycott, the success of the boycott, Dr. King moved back home to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe about a year later, and um, I think his father needed him at Ebenezer Baptist Church or whatever, and he really had outgrown Montgomery. You know, he was not in his heart because he was always near and dear to the people. But um, he just said there was a larger fight to fight. Right. And so he, and he was from Montgomery. And many, it's funny too, many of the men, James and Chris and Darian would appreciate that, who were professors at Alabama State in Montgomery were Morehouse men. They, they came to help black people. There was a spirit of helping each other that was just beautiful. So he went back to his base um, with all of this national renown and his intelligence and you know so he just moved back to Atlanta and Montgomery was left to continue fighting other fights of inequality voter registration and then the Vietnam War was there and um, in the late 60s because at that time if you were male and you weren't in college you went to Vietnam you know you got out of college you, you could get a deferment for uh, medical school or the NFL, they were moving into the NFL, but otherwise you went to Vietnam to fight. And that's the infamous time when um, Muhammad Ali said, no, I'm not going over there. I'm a minister of, of um, Islam and I don't believe in that. And they tried to absolutely obliterate him. Um, on, a, on a sad note, talking about mm-hmm. being uh, sort of erased and obliterated, mm-hmm. um, what were when you found out about Dr. King's assassination, oh, I was in college. Okay, how did that play out for you? Where, if you could just tell us about, I mean, we've so as, as Prodigy mm-hmm. and I are the same age, mm-hmm. we've seen several mm-hmm. historical things happen with like mm-hmm. 9/11. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah with, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, I mean, the earthquake '89 or something yes, that sticks, out, yes. sticks out to me. Mm-hmm. And I was living in uh, Louisiana when, well, when Hurricane Katrina happened. So oh, those. Yes. Oh. Those like little uh, push pin marks are always something mm-hmm. like I remember mm-hmm. specifically happening, mm-hmm. but we obviously weren't around when, yes. when Dr. King was, was assassinated. Um, and when I had talked to my mom about mm-hmm. it, she she you could just tell the, the sadness, but mm-hmm. she her um, I guess the feeling around her was that unfortunately they kind of had a feeling that it was coming mm-hmm. based on just the yeah. how how people mm-hmm. were just acting and mm-hmm. they knew that. They, I mean, they were fearful that that day would come. Yes, that's and true. unfortunately, it, it mm-hmm. just seemed like it didn't. It, as shocking and as very sad as it was, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if if you could. Well, let me say this. Doom that doom mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it wasn't foremost in anybody's mind. Right. But once he broadened his scope to include poor people in America, 
and the anti-war sentiment, because the, the anti-war sentiment was going, plus civil rights. You know, he, Dr. King, was stepping on toes. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't have a sense that he would be assassinated, but I tell you what, the Black Power Movement was coming about. Okay. And this was, um, we were saying, and even on college campuses, that um, uh, Stokely Carmichael and people, people like that were saying, wait a minute. We have bent over backwards, and we're still being crushed. And it's about black power. And what they were really talking about was black economic power. It wasn't about... That's an important distinction. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, right, Selene. Right, because people... What did I just read today? Um, saying, um, when we say black lives matter, the response, all lives matter, is like telling a woman... Um, What's the analogy? Um, it's like telling a woman, if you dress properly, then you won't get raped. That's yeah. how ridiculous that whole yeah. argument is. So what happened, um, we were, let's see, post, well, Vietnam lasted until, what, 75. But between the period of, um, there was social unrest. The night Dr. King died, there was in 1968, there was social unrest. They were ready to burn this country down because they said, you took a man of peace. He never did anything to harm anybody. All he wanted to do was promote civil rights for everyone. And they assassinated him. People were through. They were, they were ready to tear the cities down from, I remember, Newark, New Jersey, um, LA out here. Um, I'm trying to think, of, just even, I was in Nashville, Nashville, they had a small riot, they were just yeah. angry and, and, you know, all the pent up emotion that you could kill an innocent man who stood for peace and nonviolence, that he could mm -hmm. be so murdered, so, whew. And was it, the pent up anger when that happened, was that a, was that uh, both white people and black people, or was yes. it okay? More, mainly black, but many whites okay. who empathized. And see, '68 was a pivotal year. You had Martin Luther King's assassination. You had Robert Kennedy's assassination. Martin Luther King died April fourth. Bobby Kennedy, I think, was June sixth or something. In something. LA. Yeah, in L.A. And you had this whole it was a violent year. <laughs> Plus, now the war is still raging. People are being drafted. So the, the country was really in um, turmoil. Mm -hmm. And um, then Nixon, I think, got elected. Oh, <laughs> you guys think, whoo, this man, 45. So we got Nixon, who was just absolutely anti-black people, anti-progress, anti-civil rights. We couldn't believe it when he got elected. Everybody was like, huh? California. Yes, yes. Uh, so it, oh Lord, you guys, it's been a tumultuous fight. Mm -hmm. There have been times when we have, um, like there was a, there was despair and anger in 68, there's despair and anger in 2020. Yes. Uh-huh. Not that unrelated, um, the whole idea that, because Really, your life doesn't matter. And now we got police forces that are comprised of the Ku Klux Klan, because that imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, um, David Duke, said, we have the police departments. So you got all these people who want to kill black males, you know, 
just, you know, who feel they have free reign, but I'm just praying that they have to go through trial and that we get fair juries and that they have to stand, you know, trial for what they have done. And that culture of um, that blue code, is that uh, what they call Talk about like the blue wall of silence. Silence, yes. yes, yes. That that can be demolished. As we uh, as we progress to more of like a, a now, more of a recent time, mm -hmm. um, and uh, just a, a, I wanted to ask this question earlier. Mm -hmm. um, did you have any personal experiences with the police growing up? Where you felt fearful. A lot of, a lot of people say that they fear they had this um, internal fear of police being yeah, pulled over yeah. because of either past incidents or what they mm -hmm. see on TV. Did you have any personal any, any personal stories? One night it's funny. Mommy was bringing me back from dancing lessons, and this cop stopped us and tried to say she didn't come to a full stop. And she had a car full of young girls, children, and they were. Yes, you did. He was very, he talked to her very derisively, but she held her ground. She had to get her ticket, mm -hmm. but then we went home. I didn't have any personal interaction except one day before we had the Selma Montgomery March in 65, um, we were, was that the day we went so that we could get the injunction in order to march? Because after Bloody Sunday in Selma, when they attempted to march, and you saw all, you've seen all that footage, beating down John Lewis and all those original marchers. Wasn't Bernie we, there too? Who? Was Bernie there too? Oh, Bernie Sanders, I'm not sure he might have been. I know he was a part yeah. of it. Okay. Okay. I don't, but, know I don't know if he was there that day. But what happened, so after that, Dr. King and the strategist says, okay, we, we need to get an injunction so that we can march. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a march from Selma to demand our civil rights. So the day we got the injunction to have the march, my friends and I, every, all the school, high school kids left school. Mm -hmm. to, and we marched in the street to go to the Capitol to, it wasn't the Capitol, it was the, the a city building to get this injunction. So that, and Dr. King was there, but he told us we were high school kids and he said, it's not just about being out of school today. You have a purpose. So they, I'll never forget, they told us, everyone, we have SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, members on the front porches of all these houses. You go to a porch and you learn about what we're doing and how we want to do it nonviolently. And my friends and I went to a porch and there was, the first time I'd ever seen a black Catholic priest. I think his name was Father Clement from Chicago. He had come down. And he talked to us, and he said, oh, you, got, you guys, I see your uniforms, you're from Catholic school. And we said, yeah. And he said, so you know, understand, we want to be nonviolent, we just want to get this injunction, and then the people are going to march from Selma. Mm -hmm. So then they were all, uh, so we weren't just here to be, we weren't there to be uh, silly, giddy, unfocused. We had to be focused. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so that day we marched downtown to the, get some municipal building and Dr. King went in and it started to rain. This was spring in the South, so you get showers. We were out there in the rain, you know, just standing there and he came out and he waved the paper. Like we got the injunction, so we will have this march from Selma. Then it became a movement. All people from all over the world came and marched, took part a little bit. Mm -hmm. to, from Selma to Montgomery. When they got to Montgomery, they 
camped out on my high school grounds, the grounds of the Catholic school I went to from first grade through 12th grade. And that night, before the march to the Capitol the next morning, we had a concert. There was Sammy Davis Jr., Tony, the first time we'd ever seen movie stars in person. <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr., Tony Bennett, oh, wow. uh, Harry Belafonte, who else? We had a concert. <laughs> they, just, they put up a stage and we, who else was there? I think there was an actress, Shelley Winters. Was Paul Newman there? Paul Newman could have been there, but all these movie stars descended on Montgomery. And then the next day we went and we, um, that's when we got the injunction. Then, no, that was when they got to, this was, they got an injunction and all that. When they got to Montgomery, all the marchers, Dr. King, Mrs. King, Reverend Abernathy, who, um, Andrew Young, uh-huh, um, everybody was there, almost every, Stokely Carmichael was there in Montgomery that night. So, oh, you guys, it's been a whirlwind. Yes. Um. How, and um, let's sort of come toward the mm -hmm. closing parts mm -hmm. of the, the interview. I mean, we could go all day, but obviously mm -hmm. we have this curfew issue. Ah, yeah, that's right. You got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with everything going on right now, with somebody with as much experience as you have mm -hmm. being firsthand with the mm -hmm. original uh, ah, civil rights movement, right. how do you feel we can improve? Uh, mm -hmm. That's sort of been... I've been asked that question from even some of my, my white friends and stuff mm -hmm. because they, they see everything that's going on right now mm -hmm. and they want to know what they what can we do? What what can people do? Or because mm -hmm. you hear talk about people saying that we've done it nonviolently mm -hmm. and peaceful marches and everything mm -hmm. and I, our ancestors and parents got hosed, mm -hmm. dogged and they did sit-ins and getting punched in the back of the head while they're just mm -hmm. trying to sit in at a diner. And you're not listening. Those people, mm -hmm. have, I mean, everyone quotes Martin Luther King, but mm -hmm. can we get him for an interview today? No, because well, you, you, shot, you shot him. Right, you shot him. Right. So it, it, a lot of, you hear a lot of people saying, we've been asking, we've been mm -hmm. yelling, mm -hmm. and people have kind of gotten tired of that, and a lot of people are being violent towards property. Mm -hmm. um, that aspect is, is sort of been brought into, to try to get, get your attention as, mm -hmm. as it's being put, not to say that, either of us agree mm -hmm. with that, that mm -hmm. aspect of it, but that seems to be the, the sort of philosophy. But most importantly, what is it that you feel can help be constructive to mm -hmm. continuing the progress that your generation started out Yeah, with? you know what I think? I think hearts have to change now. Because now all of a sudden they're saying, oh, we should have listened to Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> oh, we should, you know, oh, Colin Kaepernick was right. Oh, he, he wasn't violent. He wasn't protesting the flag of America. <laughs> he was saying, hey, police brutality is an issue and it continues to exist and it's unfair and we need to change this mentality. And um, so hearts have to change now. People have to be, I mean, we've had your generation, you guys lived with integration. You guys went to schools where everybody was present. You guys um, got a chance to do almost everything you wanted to do. And even in that, there were probably still some racist people who would yell or, or, or um, hit you guys with slurs or anything like that. So now we've got to continue to fight. We've got to weed out these people who are trying to infiltrate 
in order to divide and conquer. You know, like they showed all the, many of these looters the other day were white looters who are part of white supremacist groups just trying to discredit the movement. You know, I'm not saying they were all white, but definitely people have to understand it when we say Black Lives Matter, the response is not all lives matter. If all lives really mattered, we wouldn't have to say Black Lives Matter. I don't see anybody else getting killed like black men are being killed. I mean, what, why are you threatened because we say black lives matter? You know, that's your insecurity. We're still trying to fight for our equality. So it's now a question of hearts changing and people having to realize that, you know, race is a, a human construct. God created everybody. But we've decided, you know, people decided that this race is superior to that race and all these other constructs when you really have to realize that... Oh, is it no, no, I was just to check and make sure it was still recorded. Okay. okay. When we have to realize that it's a question now of the heart. Your heart has to change. You have to be willing to listen, dialogue, be open-minded, receive people for who they are, and stop you know, buying into the the myth of white supremacy. You know, this this thing is crazy now. You know, and maybe it's as Will Smith said about the whole thing about no, this has always been happening. It's being filmed now. So with all the filming that we see this going on, we really get a chance to see this ugly underbelly where these people really believe somehow or another that because of the color of their skin, they're superior. Mm-hmm. And so you said, hmm, okay. And more of them are that way than we really know. Yeah. You know, that's what we're really seeing now. And they're, they're, part of it, too, is backlash because Obama was a president, a black intelligent man with his wife, his children. They were decent people, thinking people, intellectual people who tried to help the country move forward in a positive way. And people resented that, you know, because they couldn't just try to belittle him. He violated all the stereotypes. And then people got mad. <laughs> I'm mad. I don't like him. He's, a, he's not. I can't look down on him and say, you know, I'm better than you. No, he's good. He and his wife had all the education. They had the, the, the dedication to humanity, to helping people, to, you know, and so you're mad. Um, where was that something I read where they said, oh, oh, black people have to understand, we suffered eight years under Obama. No, you didn't suffer. He did not make you suffer. He was trying to improve things. And another thing I read, and this, I think I'm going to close with this. Um, he, how can I say this? When Obama was president, he tried to be everybody's president. He was very much, very intelligent. He tried to show love and compassion to all, but the prevailing mentality today is we'd rather have a dumb idiot to lead us. That's where it's going now. Someone who doesn't really care about us and is all about greed than a black president who tried to give us health care. <laughs> and that's where I'm going to end. Because, you know, look at this. So you'd rather have this dummy up here, this 
hardcore racist. And here was another president. And, we, and they still don't have the health care, you know, because the originator of the idea was a black man. Yes. Mm, yeah. It's crazy. So you bite up your nose to spite your face. Yeah. What's that? You yeah, know, talking about the baby yeah. out with the bathroom. Yeah. Right, right. Because you're you're hard hearted. So like I said, it's about a change of heart. But people don't want to change their hearts because they want to believe I'm superior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this was awesome. Oh, I think yeah. Next um, I. We have to make this like a, a several part series just <laughs> going down the history line because I have, we have, to go I have so many questions and everything because I want to. I want to do it again whenever. Oh, absolutely, because I, I I want to go further down the line be, mm-hmm. and, and understand some of the stuff with like the Black Panthers and oh, yeah, and just everything. Be. Even like because when did you come to California? I came to California nineteen seventy. Okay. Uh, the Black Panthers were here. In the okay. Bay Area. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, we'll, I'll, yeah, we will, we'll do a whole another little right because they tried to paint them as somehow oh they're horrible. Yes. No, they were demanding respect, and they were serving the black community. They had they gave breakfast to poor kids. They had um, books. They had, they were doing so many great things, but the dominant media tried to say oh they're horrible people yes. because one time they did wait the, they went in, the in Sacramento. Yeah. They, with right. their guns, and the the NRA says, "Oh yeah, we need a little gun control now." Black men had guns. Yes, yes. We we will definitely uh, we gotta go. We will get yeah, into that and everything because that that will just be amazing. And uh, mm. yes, and there's one other thing I want to mm. touch on maybe more next time. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things I appreciate so much about mm. you and uh, my dad raising yeah. me was looking a little bit more at the diaspora. Yes. And I remember mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. 10, 11 years old mm-hmm. and being aware of things going on in South Africa. Mm-hmm. That's right, you know, we took you to see Nelson Mandela. Yes. Understanding that what was going on in the 60s mm-hmm. with civil rights, mm-hmm. and then literally while I was in junior high and high mm-hmm. school, apartheid slowly starting to come down. Yes. Was eye-opening for me and mm. making that connection between the diaspora of that's you know, right. black experience in a majority black country on the yes. continent of Africa yes. versus mm. America as well and mm. the treatment of black people mm. and how that struggle is united and the yes. support that was going on here in that's this right. country. That story hasn't been told very well in that's the mainstream right. media mm. of the pressure that black Americans put on the U.S. government yeah. when they were calling Nelson Mandela a terrorist, uh-huh. stuff That's with right. Patrice Lumumba we yeah. could also talk oh, about, yes. but and even Mar- right. Marcus Garvey, there, there's yes. things that yes. get left out of yeah, history right. that are connected in the diaspora, That's right. and we can't right. just only focus on uh, America, too. Yes. So, That's so right. I just want because, to mention that. Right. The whole um, mm, diaspora, South Africa, and we were, we're not... By, I remember when Daddy and I got married, we didn't get buy diamonds. We didn't have diamond wedding. I didn't have a diamond wedding ring because we said, no, we're boycotting. The diamonds, the way they're treating black people, the news yeah. still got out. <laughs> the news still got out. And they tried to suppress it and all that. But we knew. And remember, South Africa could not participate in the Olympics. Yeah. All because of the, the horrible treatment of Africans in South Africa by these... Afrikaners and you guys and that's why I want you to go and take the kids I want you to go take your baby and babies mm-hmm. because 
When you go to South Africa, it's such a beautiful place, and the people are so beautiful. And when I went in 2006, Madiba, Nelson Mandela, was still alive. And it was the month of July, and they were celebrating his birthday, and it was just wonderful. And we were saying, Auntie Ben and Janae and I, we were saying, you know, if anybody should have hatred toward these people, toward white people, these southern white, uh, I'm not southern, these South African whites, it should be these people. But Mandela, kind of like Martin Luther King, embraced the spirit, and the word was Ubuntu which means forgiveness, reconciliation, love. And because of that, the people tried to coexist and get along with these white South Africaners. And they were doing it somewhat successfully. I was there for two weeks. The last week, just before we left, maybe two nights before we left, somewhere in the northern part of South Africa, we heard on the news that some Africana farmer said that the black Police better not come on his property. He'd shoot him. Oh, I know. So we said, it's time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, Lynn, that whole diaspora, because that movement of freeing South Africa, it was very, very important. We did not want not want to support apartheid. And what I want you guys to do when you go to South Africa, you have to go to the museum, because it's a whole lesson. And give you some more than one day. Remember this, at least two days in the Apartheid Museum. Okay. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And the people are so warm and loving, but they've lived through so much too. Um, mm, yeah, that. It, this is our lifetime. Yes, that, that's the yes, part that. That's right. In when I talk lifetime. to my son, your, your grandson, right. granddaughter about it, yes. I can tell them, oh, I was in junior high or high school right. when apartheid fell and that's right and, and it, was, it should have been an even right. bigger deal mm. people talk about the fall of the berlin wall yeah the, this <laughs> apartheid falling was, a was the fall <laughs> of the white supremacy yes berlin wall yes. in south africa yes and, and we'll go into it at another that, time but right. that connection just needs to be told about how much yes. uh awareness was going on over here mm -hmm. that helped with that. Yes, because of Miriam Makiba, the singer, and Hugh Masakela, that was her husband at one point. And the word, like I said, you guys have the internet, but somehow or another, the word always got out about South Africa. I mean, to the extent, all around the world, you had, um, you know, all kind of um, activists and showbiz people who supported it. And we said, we will not support this regime. The treatment that, and when we got down there and just saw what these people had lived through, I said, my goodness, you just, oh. And even you guys, there's one section where they show what happened, they were mining, the, the, the Africans were working in the mines and the dehumanization they tried to perpetrate on those people as they're working in these diamond mines and you're going to, De Beers and all these yep. uh, co um, corporations are going to profit. And these people were just horribly treated, stripped of their clothing, um, examined like you've hit a diamond in your mouth, in your throat, in your all your crevices. Oh, it was horrible. And you see all that in the museum that tells a story. It's so fascinating that 
See, we only allowed one day to go to that museum, and we were running to the um, <laughs> souvenir shop, I guess, and we said, oh, but we should have had two days just there. And, um, but somehow or another, those people are so loving and good. And I love Trevor Noah, you know, uh, one of the favorite sons there who is just a wonderful, who has moved here. Have you read his book yet? Yes. Yeah, wait, I not only read the book, I listened to him reading it. Oh, nice. Oh, I love so Yeah, it is great. You've read it too? No, no, no. I, I need to. It. But it, hearing him read it would be. Oh, yeah. yeah Books are, please do. When I was in Mexico, that's when I said, oh, my born, born a crime. crime. That's mm -hmm. right. So, you know, so much and, and stuff has gone on. And, you know, another place that's not free even today is Brazil when 44% of the population, more than here, looks more like us. Of course. Uh, but they, they, they have... They have a problem with killing a lot of activists. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, we... No, yeah, we, 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 we yeah, right. This is going to have to be a continuing thing about like real yeah. black history lessons. <laughs> something like right. that. I might be the name of what we call it or whatever. But thank God you guys are so well-read and so up-to-date right. and so, yes. Well, it's... it's it's also you. I mean, take a bow, take credit for it because obviously it's my childhood living down the road from you. Yeah. I learned so much through you and Aww. and just 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 being firsthand. Yeah. I always tell people I, I try to speak with the most proper grammar <laughs> ever in my life. Because I knew. <laughs> My mom had free reign to just be like, yeah, you can smack smack upside the head. It brought me such a long way, and mm -hmm. I it's something that I definitely um, mm -hmm. I talk to my wife about it all the time, mm -hmm. and I want to pass it on to my children mm -hmm. the importance of of reading, speaking. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's uh, something that just goes. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't get talked about enough, and I think you can go much further mm. in life just mm. being able to be well-spoken and yeah. being able to articulate yourself. Right. I think it's yeah. it's such an underrated skill, and mm. I thank you. <laughs> thank my mom. My, remember my yeah. mother, Lydia, she was the grammarian, and I think I just picked it up through osmosis, and then Salim is carrying yes. it on to Logie and Reese. Um, just because mommy being an old school school teacher believed every child can learn and everyone can speak standard English. Yes. There are times when you lapse into vernacular <laughs> or, or, you know, um, slang, but above all, you need to be able to speak, to speak, stand, speak and write standard English, period. Mm -hmm. Well, that will wrap it up with uh, Black and Black Transitionities, uh, Real Black History Lessons. <laughs> um, and yeah, we will uh, we'll come back and we'll, I'll get, we'll get some more topics and everything and I uh, try to figure out a, another little lesson plan where we can uh, get educated on some stuff. Thank you so much. All right. Yes. <laughs>